morning, and welcome to episode 644 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Perspectives, brought to you by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh of Grantland. Hello, Ben. How are you? Fine, thanks. Hello. Great. Later in the show, Sahada will be talking to Pedro Mora of the Orange County Register and the catcher on my slow-pitch softball team. <laughs> true story. Completely true. Has, years and years. Has his framing. It's an interesting question, Ben. Uh, talk about Subtweet. That. Yeah. Uh, all right. So right now, though, before we, uh, before Hadev talks to him, though, we're going to talk to Dan Volmar, who wrote the Angels essay in the BP Annual. Dan is a frequent contributor to Halo's Heaven. He is also a grad student at a private research university in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Uh, one of them. Uh, I'm going to mention which one Narrows it, it down to two. Uh, the bigger one. I'm not going to say which one, but the bigger one, the, the one you've heard of more. All right, Dan, how are you? I'm doing good. So we're going to talk about the Angels. A year ago, it was, I think, pretty pretty much accepted that if the Angels didn't make the playoffs, either Jerry Depoto or Mike Sosha would not be coming back. They did make the playoffs. They had a very good year. Everybody performed well. It was successful up until uh, they ran into the Royals and the ALDS. Uh, but successful, nonetheless. How many wins do they need this year for neither of them to be fired? And if they don't reach that threshold, which one is more likely to be fired? I'm, I'm not sure if, if wins are the, uh, the gold standard for measuring the, the performance this year, particularly because of the, the amount of postseason frustrations that the Angels have seen over the last uh, decade or so. It seems that if they make the playoffs with an 89 win team but get blown out in or lose a wild card game or get blown out in the uh, ALDS again I, I could see that being that considered a, a a disappointing outcome and one that would potentially put either Socha or, or Depoto depending on uh, Artie Moreno's mood in the potential uh, hot seat or the wobbly chair as the some wobbly might, chair some might yes call. Does anybody still get fired for losing in the playoffs? I feel like that used to happen more, and now I'm trying to think of the last GM or manager who you could say was fired because he lost in the playoffs. Can, can either of you think of one that's recent? There's Dusty Baker, who I don't think was technically fired, and there's Grady Little, but those are both 10 years old. And so, yeah, I don't know. Good question. Uh, I, I don't think that it would be just, the, just losing in the playoffs. The playoffs might be the, the, the precipitating event. You know, the tension with Socha and Depoto has been brewing for a while, and some kind of another sort of profound disappointment, even if it is in the playoffs, might be just the, the sort of catalyst for for something dramatic like that. It's hard. It's hard to uh, Artie Moreno's difficult to read. Not as much of a, a public face as he used to. So last time we saw the Angels, we talked about them as maybe the best offensive team in baseball, but question was whether they had anyone who could make even a quality start once they got to the postseason and as it turned out not really at least in one of those games so is that still going to be a story the story with the angels this year or have they done enough to address what was their weakness are we we still still talking postseason or just general just uh... general all season you know i think they've done probably about as well as you can expect and that i i was actually Considering that Jared Weaver has been on a pretty steady decline for the last several years, and then C.J. Wilson being being C.J. Wilson last year, I think they they surprised a lot of people coming up with Matt Shoemaker, and then there was the breakthrough from Garrett Richards. Hector Santiago was 
effective enough. I, th- I think he performed better in sort of the long relief role than as a than as a starter, but still promising. And and then they've got they have a couple of young arms that are of course unpredictable, but between Andrew Heine and Nick Tropiano, and they I think they gave uh, Drew Rakinski a start in spring training. So there are a few options. I'm not sure if it quite qualifies as depth, but I think they've DePoto given the constraints, particularly on payroll, you know, spending a bunch of money on a free agent pitcher just wasn't going to be an option for him this offseason. That the moves he made, particularly to acquire sort of Tropiano and, and Heine, have done a lot to address my concerns at least. Could swing wildly depending on injuries and disappointing performances and so on but the rotation is it's kind of hard to imagine myself saying this but it's really not my not a serious concern for me right now are you surprised that it's been a spring training battle for that last spot uh in the rotation considering that Heaney is such a more hyped prospect and you know they gave up a lot more to get him and that he's generally considered to be you know big league ready and and the the, the better prospect the higher ceiling prospect do you think it's just for show that they've put them through this, or is it like a legit battle? I, d- I don't think it's just for show. He has kind of a, a checkered spring training record so far. And also, I, I read just recently that there's there's a possibility that Mike Sosha might take the team into opening day with only four starters. Just given the way the schedule is set up for the first couple of weeks, they wouldn't need a fifth starter until April 15th, April 16th, something like that. And well, there's... Yeah, anytime you can get C.J. Wilson an extra start, you've got, <laughs> got to take that opportunity. So you're, you're just gonna you're gonna write that one off right out of the gate? Or not that I, not saying I disagree with you, just he who gets paid gets played. <laughs> you just made that up. <laughs> so C.J. Wilson and Jared Weaver are both signed for two more seasons. So which which one would you take in 2016 if you had to choose a season right now? I think I absolutely, you know, absolutely have to say Weaver, both from uh, fan attachment. I wasn't hugely excited when they signed C.J. Wilson in the first place. He actually did. He showed up and he he pitched quite well for his his first two seasons. But his 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 career has just been so strange. And that I mean, he was a middle relief for a while, and then a closer, and then converted to a starter, and surprisingly effective given how hard it is for him to throw a strike. The whole sentimentality thing aside, I think Wilson is just so so much less predictable than Weaver. I want to go back to uh, what you said about Artie Moreno earlier. You said that he's been less visible, but he's been a, one of the, I guess, one of the owners who's taken a more active role in his team's decisions. And also, I don't know, maybe arguably in setting the culture of the team over the uh, you know decade that he's owned it. Do you think that ultimately, has he been a good or a bad owner for this franchise? <laughs> I don't know, maybe particularly in the last half decade, has he been a good or a bad owner for this franchise? I, I think I kind of assume that most owners are neutral, don't really matter that much. They spend some money or they don't. Is Artie one who has cost or gained his teams some wins, do you think, based on his own input? Net gain? I think I would say yes. I mean, he's been willing to open the pocketbook. There's no denying that, and that's probably complaint number one that most baseball fans have about their managers they aren't willing to spend on payroll he's been the opposite of that but really in in a way that has had less than optimal results shall we say maybe you could call it a well-intentioned the the the, the holes signing for instance a well-intentioned mistake Pujols legitimately has declined a bit faster than most people anticipated that he would but then there were obvious 
mistakes such as Vernon Wells, Gary Matthews. It's still hard to tell, hard to separate Artie Moreno from Mike Sosha, from Stoneman or Regans or DePoto. But on the net, I think it's been positive, but you'll have to ask me that again in a few years once we've gone through the stadium lease saga. That might play a pretty strong role in in writing his legacy as the Angels team owner. So the the Heaney trade filled a need. The Angels didn't really have starting pitchers or prospects, and he was both. But they didn't really replace Kendrick. They just kind of don't have a second baseman. Um, <laughs> they're going with the, the 2011 internet plan for second base, I guess, the, the Johnny Javitella plan. So <laughs> is that going to be a significant hurdle this year? Is it worth it? Is it worth it to go essentially without a second baseman for a season when you are trying to be competitive to get a commodity like a young cost-controlled team-controlled starting pitcher well it depends if you're literally going without a second baseman then then i would then i would have to say no yeah um, i think we but... probably had email questions about that but they're not <laughs> literally doing that but i, I think depoto was pretty proactive about putting cards in his hand to play in kendrick's absence and I think it absolutely will be an absence that, that will be felt. Kendrick, after the sort of the disappointment, when, when people realized he wasn't going to be uh, Mr. Future batting title, uh, he actually settled into a very quietly you know, above average career. And it'll be hard to replace him in the short term. But they've got a few, a few possibilities to at least get something near average, at least above replacement. It's not Gio Vitella has probably been the front runner, but there's also uh, Taylor Featherston, um, Josh Rutledge. So they've got a few. Grant Green's still kicking around, depending on how you feel about him. Um, <laughs> Very reassuring names. Yes. The, the utility roles have been a sore point, certainly last season, and some of it kind of, I think, legitimate mismanagement of roster resources. So that could be a painful process to work out, but there are at least some positive signs. Chase Utley is is reportedly easily attainable to a club that wants to take on his contract. And the thing that was sort of interesting about that, I thought, was that that news was reported by an Angels reporter. Like, that, that was news that was broken not by a Phillies reporter or a National Rumor reporter, but an Angels reporter. And he is a plugged-in Angels reporter. He's a very good one, Alden Gonzalez. But still, I thought, oh, that's weird, and it feels telling. Do you feel like i mean it seems like a perfect fit is there something i'm not seeing for why this trade would not happen at least contract is something like high high teens uh it's uh, a, millions it, until it's he's a, about 39 or so it's a weird contract because there's like about a thousand options and it's hard yeah to yeah yeah that's right they're club friendly or player friendly like they all vest with playing time and so like if he's hurt then that won't you know they won't vest and if they do vest and he's playing, then he's potentially still like kind of a bargain because they're not that expensive. They're $15 million a year. It's a very weird contract, and it's hard to tell how onerous it is. Although I guess if the Phillies want to get out from under it and a trade hasn't happened yet, I guess we should consider it to be somewhat onerous. Also, the Angels recently, I think, I think it was Artie Moreno recently said that they have money to spend, that they didn't reach their sort of self-induced pre-offseason cap. As much as I'm going to miss... Kendrick, I think that'll be maybe the biggest hit on the offensive front and defensively as well. I still don't quite miss him to the point that I, I would think that would be a really good idea, just given Utley's age and they've already got Albert Pujols on pension for the next uh, until 22 or so. It just it seems like 
I think they have other opportunities to address second base in the longer term future that would be closed off by making that kind of very large commitment to a player on on the wrong side of 30. So the Angels have had this poorly rated farm system for a few years now, and they've essentially acquired half of the interesting players in their farm system this offseason. Of BP's top 10 for them this year, I think five of them were acquired this offseason, and then three others were 2014 draft picks. So as Cliff Corcoran pointed out, 11 of the 16 prospects mentioned on that list weren't in the organization last May. So are they better positioned for the future now? Are you more optimistic about the Angels not going into the tank in a few years because of the moves they've made? Or is this just an improvement relative to where they were? I would call it a positive sign, but with the provision that based on previous behavior, it seems likely that half of those top-rated prospects are going to end up getting traded off for uh, the next Joe Thatcher or some kind of spare part to fit in during a playoff race. So I think it's actually been a very, considering what they've had available to work with, that DePoto's done quite well to acquire as much young talent as he has and useful talent, but there's going to be this sort of countervailing trend of trading these guys off. I'd say they, there's a net positive, but I'm maybe not as encouraged as I, as I might be. Has it been nice to have, I, I know that for a long time you cheered for a team that was fairly apathetic, if not sometimes antagonistic, toward analytics or whatever. And that distinction is overblown a lot of times, but it probably wasn't really that overblown with the Angels. And then since they turned over the front office three years ago, they've been much more engaged, much more vocal about it. Has it been nice as a fan? Like, have you felt a difference in your enjoyment of cheering for this team, uh, having them make decisions that, you know, they could maybe justify using language that you appreciate? Or ultimately, does it really blend into the background and they're either winning or they're losing and that's what makes you happy like do i feel vindicated like i was right all along and they finally came around something like that i would say it's i enjoy watching the angels win when they were still would waste no opportunity to pound a ball into the ground just to put it in play as long as they were winning you know winning is kind of the universal vindication in spectator sports but it's been gratifying to see what seemed to be, given the, the less than advisable contracts aside, they've been starting to fill up their rosters with more players who were just good. Good enough at everything to be slightly above average. And having a team full of players like that, you know, as, as Oakland has shown sort of repeatedly over the last few years, having lots of guys who are just good can actually take you a, a long way. I'm not sure exactly what like the team on-base percentage trend looks like right now, but it has been satisfying to see a little bit more robust team developing from the sabermetric perspective and also just from the spectator's seat. So you had a table in your essay about Mike Trout. It had lots of numbers and delta symbols. So <laughs> what will you be looking for from Mike Trout? Obviously, the the high fastball thing has become an issue that everyone writes about, and he has responded to, and it seems like he is aware of it and wants to do something about it. So what will you be paying attention to as you watch Trout early this year? The main point of that table, that was an investigation into my own sort of subjective perception of how umpires were calling his, his strike zone specifically. It seemed to me that there were, with a noticeable frequency, umpires who seemed enthusiastic to ring him up for looking at a you know high outside fastball with two strikes. But 
he's still so young and his performance ever since he came up has been just almost without precedence in the modern era. It's really hard to know what to expect at all from Mike Trout other than that whatever my doubts are that he will probably address them. <laughs> yeah, it seems like a safe expectation. So before Jose Molino's my muse, Jeff Mathis was Sam's muse and we all made fun of Mike Sosha for liking Jeff Mathis so much, and then we found out that maybe Mike Sosha was right, or more right than we were, about the impact that catcher defense makes and the value of having a good receiver. And yet, it seems like as the rest of the industry has gone for these framers and they've changed teams and certain teams seem to be acquiring them this offseason, the Angels were one of the sellers of Hank Conger, who actually projects to be the best or tied for the best framer, according to Harry Pavlidis's numbers at BP. 29 runs over the full season. So the Angels now have Chris Iannetta, and I know that Sam has a theory that every catcher is good at framing now, or that it's very easy to find a good framing catcher, but the Angels have one of the ones who isn't, and it's Mike Sosha's team. So has he changed his philosophy now? Do you think that he has just learned to love getting offense from a position where teams don't always get offense? I'm not sure what I what I think about that. I mean, the evolution of catcher metrics has been really fascinating to watch it unfold. I mean, they did pick up Drew Butera, who uh, is actually has worse career offensive numbers than <laughs> Jeff Mathis. Yes. Uh, so that could be you know an evolving story as the as the season goes on, depending on how much playing time he might receive versus Chris Lionetta, but yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's something that DePoto has been pushing on or if there's some other sort of pitcher whispering, because Mike Sosha's argument wasn't always pitch framing specifically. It was catchers making pitchers better, and pitch framing being one of many possible ways in, in which they do that, and so it's possible that he might see an Ionetta that he powers up pitchers in other ways, even if his pitch framing is not, mm-hmm. not what Jeff Mathis's is or Hank Conger's. Mm-hmm. And Neil Weinberg wrote an article for Fangraphs earlier this month about Cole Calhoun and why he wasn't rated as a prospect. Do you have a theory for why he kind of went under the radar prospect list wise? Probably not a novel one other than that he's just the kind of prospect that doesn't seem to excite a lot of prospect watchers. I mean, he hit quite well when he was at ASU, but I think the Pac-10, Pac-12 that can be an offensively favorable environment to play in. And, you know, just by being drafted out of college, he's older. And I know he wasn't seen as particularly toolsy when he was coming up through the minor league system. I think it just was a lack of any sort of exciting standout talent, even though the whole package adds up to something that's been really enjoyable to watch. All right. So give us your prediction for the Angels. How many wins this year and where will that put them? If you're going to pin me down and ask for one number, I think we I'll are. say I'll, I'll say 89. Okay. And I think that will be sufficient to, if not, win the division outright to secure uh, one of the wild card berths. It seems like the the Mariners are probably the most likely challenger. I don't really know at all what to expect from the A's since they blow up their team every year. Mm-hmm. But they could win 95 again, and I wouldn't be surprised. They could win 82, 80, 83, and I might not be all that surprised either. So I'll think with 89 is, is, is the mean for my, my expectations. All right. You have fulfilled your obligation in the prediction department. Thank you, Dan. My pleasure. All right. So after the musical break, you will hear Pedro Mora of the OC Register.
Welcome to the second half of the Effectively Wild podcast. I'm Sahadev Sharma, Associate Editor for Baseball Prospectus. With me is Pedro Mora, Baseball Writer for the Orange County Register. We're going to be previewing the 2015 Los Angeles Angels. We're down to, this is the third to last team, so this is predicted to be the third best team in all of baseball. Uh, I, I gotta say, that that feels weird to me, because I just, to me, when I look at the Angels, I see Trout... And uh, there's plenty of names uh, on the team, obviously, but I see, you know, guys on the bad side of their careers or or uh, just random names filling the holes. But this offense really impressed me last year, Pedro. And everybody, every starter had an OPS plus above 100. And it was obviously built around a superstar. But you just you put a bunch of average guys to slightly above average guys around a superstar. And it turns out to be a really good, really good situation. Uh, but there's there's some changes there, so I'm j- I'm just gonna I have a few questions about three spots that I'm most well four spots that I'm most curious about. First of all, we know there's all sorts of drama going around with Josh Hamilton. What what happens to his spot in the lineup? Who who's gonna take over and left? Luckily for the Angels, Sahadev, they they prepared for the possibility. It almost seems like, although they weren't really preparing for it. They acquired Matt Joyce over the offseason in exchange for a reliever Kevin Jepsen. And Joyce fits in pretty pretty well to, to the Hamilton slot. You can, you can just put him in left field. He's no longer a, gr- a good defender, but he has bat plays. You know, he's, he's a consistently above average bat, especially against right-handed pitching. And they have some guys who can face lefties, particularly Colin Calgill, who had a really good season against left-handed pitching last year uh, as a great defender. And, and together, those two make for a pretty great platoon. I mean, you could, you could count on Two and a half, three wins from those guys above replacement. So I mean, it's it's a uh, if you're going to lose a guy making twenty five plus million dollars, if there's anyone in baseball you wanted to lose for for fifty games or something like that, uh, Josh Hamilton for the Angels would be one of the <laughs> one of the best people to lose. Yeah, and I guess that that answers uh, one of my other questions. What's uh, which was what's Matt Joyce's role? Was his role always just going to be a platoon guy? I mean, what would he have done if Hamilton was healthy? I think it was dependent largely on what Hamilton produced, uh, and it still is, you know, because I, I think the Angels are counting on Josh Hamilton playing for them at some point this year. Um, I, I would say that Joyce was probably brought in to be the primary DH. I think the Angels were not necessarily convinced that C.J. Crone was going to be a regular for them this year. Uh, he's now sort of forced to be because of that, because of Hamilton's uh, absence. But, you know, maybe it was going to be Joyce against righties and Crone against lefties at DH. Maybe Crone was going to open the year in AAA and get a little bit more seasoning. Who knows? Um but they're lucky to have a bat, you know, capable bat like Joyce there to start with Hamilton out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Howie Kendrick's gone. He's just he's felt like he's always been a part of these Angels teams. And really, you know, maybe uh, because I was one of the people that was really high on him, I, I kind of underappreciated how how good he's been because I expected so much more for, from him. But he's been a really solid, consistent bat. And now there's a hole at second. It's uh, the names don't inspire much confidence <laughs> when, I, when I look at the depth chart. Uh, what's how are things shaking out in spring training? Uh, it's 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 really interesting side of I, I, you know, I, Howie Kendrick, like you said, was one of the most dependable hitters in baseball for the last five, six, seven seasons. Really, I don't think he hit under something like 280 for, for seven seasons in a row with a consistently 330 on base right around a 400 slugging 420 slugging every year. I mean, this guy was. You, you can pencil him in for, for that kind of offensive production, above average every year. Uh, the Angels, 
I think I think smartly uh, made the decision to trade him a year ahead of his free agency for a pitching prospect they really like in Andrew Heaney. But by doing that, they uh, they took on a gamble, right? That they could find an above replacement level second baseman with a couple months to go before the regular, before spring training, and uh, you know they they cast a wide net. They acquired Josh Rutledge, they acquired Johnny Giapatella, they had a guy Grant Green who was a first rounder just not that long ago, and they had a they had a pretty good prospect of their own, Alex Yarbrough. Uh, and they can't find a, a good second baseman out of those guys. Some people would say that's not necessarily a surprise. I think the Angels probably thought Josh Rutledge was going to be a little bit better this spring than he has looked so far, which is to say he's looked pretty pretty bad. Um, it looks like, as of right now, maybe Johnny Giavatella might be their guy on opening day on April 6th. Uh, I, you know, How good is he going to be? How good is his defense? Is he going to be able to be above replacement? I'm not sure. Uh, it, it was a bold move they, they made to deal away Kendrick, you know, almost a five win player a year ago. And they might if they can't find a replacement level guy, they might be taking away five wins, which is a huge amount. Right. Just a, just an incredible amount for a guy who was not being paid very much in Kendrick. I think he's due about nine million this year. So it was bold. Uh, we'll see how good Heaney is. You know, obviously, he's not going to put up five five surplus wins as a, as a fifth starter this year. So if this is the reason the Angels don't make the playoffs, obviously they're going to get questioned. But I think long term, it was probably still a smart move. You know, at the end of every season, I like to kind of look at try and search for players that I missed uh, had really strong seasons. You know, Jan Gomes was someone that uh, that I that I fell in love with late in the season. Uh, Lorenzo Cain is someone that I didn't realize how good of a regular season he had. And but uh, Cole Calhoun is one of those guys. I, I look back at the season he had it, very strong seasons, you know, great, very solid with the bat. Uh, is this should is this just scratching the surface with Cal, Calhoun? Uh, is he for real? And and how how did we kind of miss this guy? He's, it was never really a I don't believe he was ever a top 100 prospect or anything like that. Never really talked about much until he finally showed up to the bigs. Yeah, uh, well, there's a couple facets to that question, and I think it gets at a couple things that I think I think about baseball, which is one that guys who have slow starts uh, are undervalued by by myself included. Uh, Calhoun had a had a slow start to his 2014 and then got hurt. Then by the time he came back, it was late May. He didn't have any homers, uh, and his offensive production looked looked bad. His, his counting numbers looked bad basically for the rest of the year, even though he hit so, something like 17 home runs in in just over four months, which is you know really great in today's offensive climate. As a, out of a right fielder who can who can play the field well, who walks, uh, who has a pretty good hit tool, um, he, yeah, he's he's most certainly for real. I mean, I think he's a he's an above average outfielder for the next four years on a you know on a on a cheap deal for the Angels. He's a goldmine. He really is. Uh, why did we miss him as a prospect? Uh, that's probably you know I I think uh, I think Fangraphs did something on this just last week or something like that. But Neil Weinberg did it. It was a good piece. It it, it got at. The, the fact that he's a, he's good at everything, not fantastic at anything. Um, he was he was old for his age when he, by the time he was drafted. I believe he was a senior sign out of Arizona State, uh, and and never really until until his final year in AAA, the beginning of twenty in, in twenty thirteen, until he got called up. He had never outright shined in the minors. He had always been good, putting up good numbers every year. I think he skipped a level at some point in the process. So you know, at no point did this guy ever look overmatched. Uh, but. He also never shined, and therefore we maybe we we missed him. We didn't maybe miss him. We did. Uh, and now you know here's a 26, 27 year old uh, who is going to produce something like 12 wins for the next four seasons for the Angels in his prime. And you know he's a he's a pretty good leadoff hitter in today's day. Uh, and I think yeah he, we can learn from how we missed someone like this. Also there's the fact that he's he's you know five eight five nine two hundred and ten pounds doesn't look like a you know particularly great athlete or baseball player, but he is a pretty good athlete. You know, maybe it's the body type uh, bias once again. 
Yeah, there seems like there's a lot of little things right there that just kind of add up to him being overlooked. That's a it's it's kind of an interesting interesting uh, guy to look into. Uh, that's pretty fascinating. Now now the rotation. This is where my biggest concern was last year. I you know I got the offense when you when you have that centerpiece in Trout. I can understand how things work out. I I didn't I didn't realize how good the the rotation did last year until later in the year when I started really looking at playoff teams and and i was kind of taken aback at at how some of the performances the guy i guess that you know garrett richards is one of those guys that we knew had the power fastball did he have the rest to be a strong starter where is he coming back what are they can he be even better was that i mean are we talking about a front of the rotation type arm for you know the foreseeable future for this team um, I think I think Richards is due to come back at some point in April. Um, the Angels are probably aiming later in the month. Uh, he thinks he can be back early in the month, maybe by the time the second time his his rotation spot would come around. But he's not going to miss a ton of time, I don't think. And of course, he did not have you know an arm injury. This was a knee deal, so that's a that's a very positive sign if you're an Angels fan. Uh, as far as what he can he can be going forward, um, I don't know if I would project him to be an ace. I mean, this but last year he basically was right. I mean, you're talking about two six FIP. Uh, almost nine Ks per nine, pretty good walk rate, and really was just like way better than he had ever been in the past. You know, the thing with Garrett Richards is that until two or three years ago, he had never put up good statistics or great statistics at any level, right? He was drafted out of Oklahoma after putting up a six ERA as a junior in college, uh, and he was a first-round pick. You don't really see types of, types of guys like that having success at the major league level. Um, you know, His ERA last year was less than half of what it was in college, uh, but he, you, know, you could always see – I remember on opening day 20, 2013, he came in in relief for the Angels, and his stuff was just the nastiest I saw in relief out of anyone, I think, in, in the month of April. Right? He has a he has a dominant slider. His fastball can get up to 97 when he wants it to, and there's not that many guys that can that can do that and place their pitches uh, where they want to in, in, the, in the majors, especially when now Richards proved last year that he can do that over 100, 110 pitch outings. He outdueled a lot of great pitchers last year. I mean, there was a there was a Tanaka starting against Masahiro Tanaka on Sunday Night Baseball that really opened a lot of people's eyes to him. Uh, I think going forward, we have to allow for the possibility of regression. I think he is a great number two, probably if I had to guess what he's going to be long term. That's what I would say. Uh, but he, there's, I can't rule out the possibility of him being an ace. And for the Angels, uh, based on what they thought they had at the start of 2013, you know, that's incredible to get that out of Gary Richards. You know, Matt Shoemaker he kind of fits that mold of what we were talking about, a little older prospect there. He's a 20, I want to say he was 27 last year as a rookie. Uh, and I, I just kind of assumed he pitched over his head, but his ERA is not too far off from his FIP, so the peripherals must line up. Did, did he overall pitch over his head, do you think? Do you think we're going to see a little bit of a drop where this guy's more a back of the rotation arm, or, or is he a solid three in a, in a good rotation? I don't know. I, I, I really don't know. I thought yeah. about it a lot. I thought about it a lot with him because he's the type of pitcher that uh, is wholly unafraid to do exactly what he wants to do on the mound. And uh, he doesn't really get uh, distracted, discouraged by anything. And, you know, that's sort of an admirable trait to have as a, as a pitcher. I think uh, he doesn't get discouraged. And that's really a, 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 an overwhelmingly great ca- uh, fa- character trait to have as a pitcher, right? I don't know if he's a 304 ERA guy going forward. Probably not, but he struck out a lot of, uh, he struck out a lot of hitters and he doesn't walk guys. He just does not walk people. You could see that even in AAA in, in the, in the, in the PCL. I think his walk rate was 
like one and a half over 200 innings in, in the year before he made his major league debut. That's really good. You know, at, at that level, that's really good. And uh, if you're walking one and a half guys at the major league level, you don't even have to strike out eight or nine like he did last year to have success, right? Uh, his baseline is is bottom end rotation guy. His his high, you know, his 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 ceiling at this point is probably a a, a three, maybe if you're super optimistic, a two. Uh, he there was there were some outings last year that he was really really dominant. There were. Um, so I think yeah, somewhere in the three to four range is where he fits in. And again, you know, you're talking about a 28 year old who's right in his prime, and the Angels are paying him 520 thousand next year. So that's a uh, that's a bargain. Uh, we know Richards is going to be out for the few first few weeks at least, and it, it looks like Heaney will have that fifth spot. Is is it right now just to wait and see who does well uh, those first few weeks, and then decide who what how the rest rest of the rotation shakes out, who who leaves the rotation? What's I mean, is it most likely that we see Heaney get sent down? Uh, Hector Santiago, I don't even know if he has any options left. What what what's are there other scenarios? Could we see CJ Wilson just, uh, just released if he continues to just be, you know, walk half the ballpark every single time he pitches? Um, that's a good question. I, I, first of all, to, to maybe get it at the right premise on this, I'm not sure that Andrew Heaney is going to open this year in their rotation. It's not okay. a lock. Uh, it's not a lock. He hasn't really looked very good in spring. The statistics aren't there, but more importantly, his, his consistency hasn't been there at all. Um, Really, the Angels are talking up this this guy they signed out of the independent league ball a couple years ago named Drew Rosinski, who might open the year as their number five guy, wow. especially if uh, especially if Garrett Richards is only out a start or two, because then they can just leave Heaney in AAA, leave him developing, leave his service down clock not accumulating, and have uh, this Rosinski guy pitch a few okay starts and then replace him with Richards. Uh, that you know that could that could easily work. Um, Hector Santiago might be the guy that fits best in their bullpen. Out of the starters long term, so maybe that's the move. Maybe uh, maybe if Heaney does start on the rotation and, and stay there and do and, and have success, then maybe you move Santiago to the pen where he's pitched quite a bit, you know, at various times. I think he was a closer a little bit for the White Sox a few years ago. Um, so that's probably, if you ask me, the most likely scenario. I'd say yeah, Heaney fits into the rotation. Santiago moves to the bullpen, uh, and the Angels' rotation is uh, Jared Weaver, C.J. Wilson, Matt Shoemaker, Garrett Richards, and Andrew Heaney in no particular order there. Um, but maybe, maybe that's not what's going to happen. You know, Hector Santiago was, was pretty good last year. Um, not, not, not great, but he was more than a serviceable fifth starter. So the angels have some options and it sort of depends on Richards's health. And, uh, I think what they're going to expect from Andrew Heaney this year. Has, uh, has Santiago had any response to, uh, to, uh, Brent Honeywell saying that he, he doesn't throw a screwball, that that's not a true screwball. <laughs> Uh, the funny thing about Hector Santiago's screwball is that it's become this, this hot button topic with him where people ask him about it in almost every group interview. And his answer is, is basically the same is that he barely throws it. He throws it two or three times a game. Uh, if that in the spring, he's thrown it, I think something like a total of four times. But when you see him throw it once, you can guarantee that someone's going to ask him about that one pitch after the game. It's really sort of a novelty. He's loved to tell people stories. He's told me this a couple times that, that, uh, that the screwball is what got him to the major league. So he's sort of loyal to it because even though it wasn't that great of a pitch, never been that great of a pitch, the White Sox brass, he said, was so interested in the fact that when he started throwing your screwball, they fast tracked him to the majors. And this was a guy who was a late round pick was never really even supposed to make the majors. So he's, yeah. he's very loyal to them because it's, it's the guy, it's the thing that got him noticed. Uh, it's not the reason why he has success. Um, but for a 30th rounder, I guess you have to, you have to remember what got you here. Uh, Mike Sosha is entering his 16th year as a manager, which is, uh, 
bothers me for the mere fact that my college roommate's favorite player was Mike Sosha when he was growing up. I mean, I didn't go to college when Mike Sosha was playing. I'm not that old. But that's still, I mean, guys that I remember playing are now, you know, two decades into their managerial career. That's craziness. Uh, I mean, what's the, I remember when Terry Francona and Theo Epstein and they all, when they left uh, Boston and after the 2012 season, uh, they, they each said, you know, a decade is, is a good run. You know, a decade in one spot is, is what you need. Uh, is that, are we entering a point where, yeah, the, the Angels are, are still a really good team, but maybe Sosha needs to move on somewhere else? Or is he even thinking about leaving the Angels? Are the Angels in the least bit unsatisfied with what he's doing? Or is this just, you know, Sosha's going to be here for another five, six, seven, whatever, however many years it, it is. Yeah, uh, I don't know. It, it really is crazy that this is, his, his, I believe, his 16th season, like you said. Uh, but he's under contract for four more years at five million a year, wow. and he's and he's not gonna he's not gonna turn that down. I don't think. Uh, no, I know. <laughs> so uh, unless the Angels fire him, which I don't think is a likely outcome at this point, at any time over the next four years, like, he's gonna be there for the long haul. Um, you know, he, I don't know how important managers truly are. That's you know, we could talk about that in a separate podcast for a couple hours, but. Yeah. He is uh, not a bad manager. It's pretty clear to me. Um, I don't know how great he is. I feel pretty comfortable proclaiming though that he's not he's not well below average. And so, therefore, I think the Angels are comfortable with him in 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 that role as probably they should be. You know, I think last year he showed the ability and willingness to adapt, which uh, a lot of managers have not shown. And for that, he deserves credit. Uh, he was one of the reasons why they had the success that they had last year. He was more willing to do some crazy stuff with his bullpen. Uh, you know, don't forget that the Angels basically started relievers in like eight games down the stretch last year, um, which is, I don't think a lot of major league managers would do. Uh, he, he, he put Cole Calhoun in the leadoff spot from pretty much the get go last year. And uh, that's another thing that I don't think very many major league managers would do for a guy who has power and, and is, you know, is not a traditional burner. Uh, so I think, uh, yeah, so she's probably there. I mean, he's why, you know, if there's no, I don't see a reason really to, to think that he's going to be let go at first a couple of years ago, even, even a year ago at this time, there was an idea that there was tension between him and general manager Jerry Depoto. But any idea that there's tension is, is really is long gone at this point. I mean, the two seem to get along pretty well. Uh, I think Sosha's pro- ideas about baseball have probably uh, evolved to be a little bit more like Depoto's, who's also a former player. So uh, between the two of them, you have to think that they're in, in the Angels are in pretty good hands. So yeah, so there was a little bit, uh, there were rumblings at the very least that his tenure may be ending after, I mean, they missed the playoffs for four straight years after a long string of success. And I think three of those four years were more than double digits out of the, out of first place. Uh, so there, there were, there was a time when, when it seemed like this could be coming to an end. Yes, most, most certainly. I think, uh, if you would ask me about 14, 15, maybe 16 months ago, um, the idea was there was a great bet that at least one of Socio or DePoto was going to be gone by the time the 2014 season started, or both of them. Uh, but then they reconciled, and, and they're both here, and they're both here for the foreseeable future. And, uh, and DePoto earned a lot of praise for his uh, for his roster construction last year, and uh, and a lot of people are projecting the Angels to be good again this year. So. Uh, as of right now, it's it's hard to see a scenario where one of them gets axed at any time in the near future. Before I let you go, Pedro, I'm, I'm asking everyone this. I, I want to know what storyline, What maybe it's a specific event, maybe it's just the debut of a player. Uh, not the key for the Angels 2015 season, but what you as a reporter are most looking forward to 
uh, writing about and covering in general? Uh, I want to see Albert Pujols bunt. He hasn't bunted in 11 years, and I think it's going to happen this year. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I, that's a good question. Uh, maybe maybe David Fries. Uh We haven't talked about him. He's at third. I, I think – if you ask me one guy who I think is going to be better than he was last year for the Angels, maybe it's him. He was pretty terrible for like the first four months of the year, and then he turned it on a little bit and became right around average by the end of the year offensively at least. Um, I'm curious to see what he does this season. You know, he's a free agent come year's end. The Angels have a, a somewhat ready-made prospect to come take over for him in Kyle Kabitza, who they acquired this offseason from the Braves. So it doesn't seem like his future is in Anaheim, um, but, you know, he can still control that a little bit, and maybe if he, you know, comes out, hits – 280 with a 340, 350 OBP and 15 owners, uh, maybe maybe they decide to keep him and maybe that gets him a really big free agent deal. There's not that many above average third baseman who come available uh, in the offseason. So uh, maybe that's maybe that's what I'm most looking forward to. There's some there's some there's some interesting storylines that we, that we've discussed, probably some others that we have didn't have a chance to. But I think uh, free assist production level is one thing that I will be monitoring for sure. Pedro, thanks so much for joining me. Why don't you let the listeners know where they can find you on Twitter or any other social media you may be on and uh, where they can read your work. Yeah, um, I'm at the OC Register, uh, ocregister.com, and uh, Twitter is just Pedro Mora, P-E-D-R-O-M-O-U-R-A. Thanks, Sahadev. Thank you, Pedro Mora, baseball writer for the Orange County Register. I'm Sahadev Sharma. You can follow me on Twitter at Sahadev Sharma. Pedro, thanks again. Take care. Thank you. All right, that's it for the Angels preview. Thank you for listening. That is it for us this week. You can send us emails for next week at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectivelywild. Rate and review and subscribe to the show on iTunes. And support our sponsor, The Play Index, by going to baseballreference.com and subscribing to The Play Index using the coupon code BP to get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. We have only two team preview podcasts left to go. We will be back on Monday with the Washington Nationals. Okay, we're doing video or just voice? Just, just voice. voice. All right. Ben and I do video so we can stare into each other's eyes. The whole time, but <laughs> we don't expect the guests to do video. <laughs>